I love the song we just sang about believing for it and God making a way when things seem impossible. Because as we continue to walk through our theme, Moses in May and a little bit in June, just over and over and over again, we see God doing just that, the impossible, and God making a way when there seems to be no way. And I hope that the story of Moses and his life and what happened to him and how he responds to all of this is certainly encouraging you as well. So we continue in this theme. Last week, we observed that God's people are finally free and God uses Moses to bring them out of slavery in Egypt. And after hundreds of years of knowing nothing other than enslavement, they're finally free and they get to enjoy what God has for them. In chapters 15 through 18 of Exodus, what we discover, and we're not going to take time to read through this, is that as they embark into their new territory and as they are free, they have a few issues. They have a water problem and they have a food problem. Because they're in the wilderness, they're in the desert, and there's not water or food, and there's a great nation that now has to drink and has to eat. They also run into an organizational crisis because they've never had to govern themselves before. They were always enslaved. So now all of a sudden there are issues, and how do we relate to one another, and how do we solve these problems as a big group, as a nation? Well, what is so fascinating, if you read those chapters, you will discover that God, every single time a challenge comes, whether it's water or food or the organization itself, God provides solutions and a way forward for his people, the Israelites, God's people, Moses' people. And that brings us to chapter 19 and chapter 20, where we discover the Ten Commandments. Words given a long time ago, ancient words, but yet I think they have quite a bit to say about how we should be living and functioning today. So we're going to think through a few of the Ten Commandments today. Before we dive into scripture and read, I want to share a big idea with you that will frame our conversation. Here it is. View the Ten Commandments as a way to know God. View them that way. I don't think we often consider the Ten Commandments as a way to know God, their rules and laws and guidelines, but when you dig into them, and we'll do a little bit of that today, you discover that these commandments are a way to personally know God and relate to him and certainly relate to each other as well. God gave us rules and commandments here so that we could know something about him. So today we get to talk about commandments. Sounds great, doesn't it? Certainly. Well, what we find as we progress in our story is that the Israelites have set up camp at a place just outside of Mount Sinai. And they remain there for approximately 11 months. So they're living And they're existing and solving problems. In the middle of this, God and Moses begin to have some conversations. 
And we know that based on what we see in Exodus chapter 19. So if you have a Bible or a device, please meet me in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 19. You can find the scripture in our church app as well as the words will be on our screens. So here's chapter 19 verse 1. Again, think about Moses and God conversing a little bit. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. And then God invites Moses to come a little bit closer to chat. Verse 3, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on E-A-G-L. It may have happened that way. I I don't know, possibly. But here's God saying, "You, You know that I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself, which is really a profound statement. Because here's God saying, I did all of this to bring you to me. Because I love you as a nation and I want to work through you. Verse 5 then goes on to say, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. Now, let's not forget, as we walk through this, that the commandments are a way for us to know God, and these commandments function really as a vision for authentic human living. So consider that. They're not just do this, or stop this, or avoid this. The commandments really offer God's vision for authentic human living, and here's what I mean by that. The commandments help us understand God's will for humanity. Like here's some really good stuff. You should do this. And that's God's will for how we should interact with him and with each other. That's the commandments. And the commandments offer a vision for how to relate to each other as well. So there is a part of them that it's directed to God and how we interact with him. But a lot of the commandments are how we should interact with each other. So Again, this is God just delivering a vision for human living. I love what author Adam Hamilton says about this. Far from stifling us, the Ten Commandments are meant to keep us from harm and from succumbing to thoughts and behaviors that enslave. Which I think that is an extraordinary statement. Especially when you think about the subject matter here. It's the Israelites who had been enslaved for hundreds of years. And Adam Hamilton, the author, is stating, God's offering something to you to keep you from being enslaved again. Don't go back there. These particular commandments made it into the top 10 list because they address some of the key temptations or tendencies with which human beings wrestle. So we normally think of rules as negative or boring, right? That's kind of how we view them. But actually, this is God choosing to personally invest in humanity and to interact with us, view the Ten Commandments as a way to know God. So here's how we will approach this today. 
the commandments are broken uniquely into two different parts. There's a nice clean break. The first four commandments focus on our vertical relationship with God and how we can be rightly related to him. So the focus is on, here's what God wants for you. The second set of commandments, the next six, deal with our horizontal relationships with other human beings, like do not murder and do not steal and so on and so forth. So the first four, our vertical relationship with God. The next six, our horizontal relationships with each other. And there's a nice division here. Today, we're going to look at the first four commandments that focus on that vertical relationship with God. And I hope everyone walks out of here with a few ideas about, you know, if I honor God this way, I'm going to have a really good relationship with him. And I'll be living what God wants for me. And I'll be accomplishing what he desires for me as well. I hope you're able to think about that and we walk out with that type of mindset. Next week then, as we gather for Memorial Day weekend, we will look at the final six commands. So let's dive into this. And I want to say that I believe the biblical commands here, these 10 commandments are central to biblical literature. They're not like just a a nice add-on. Like, oh, God had a conversation with Moses and here's 10 things, 10 suggestions, 10 recommendations. You should probably do this. And it was given a long time ago, but it doesn't really intersect with our lives today. No, I think these commandments are central to biblical literature because they provide a way to live in any structure. They do. So scholar Craig Keener said this about the commandments intersecting with different structures of culture and society. He said, the laws in the Bible do not seek to restructure society, but to affect how people live and think in the societal structure that they have. No societal structure, or think about it this way, no form of government is flawless. It is always subject to the nature of the people who are part of it. The laws of the Bible seek to transform how people live in whatever sort of society they find themselves. And I think that's important to consider as we look at these commandments because we live in a society, we live in a culture, and the commandments are appropriate for us today because I think they will help us live within our culture and within our society and be rightly related to God and be rightly related to other people as well. So this is for us and for how we live today. And it sounds like this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. 
You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I want to pause there and just think about this word used here where God says about himself that I am a jealous God. Jealousy is a sin and something that we should avoid that damages our relationships with others. But it's shocking here to find God saying, I am a jealous God. Is this problematic for people who love God and follow him? Well, I don't think so, and here's why. We have to remember that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was written in other languages and then translated into English. This particular section was written in Hebrew. And so the word jealous here comes from a Hebrew word. This is the best English translation of it. But when you dive into the construction of this word, you find that it means something a little bit different than what we consider jealousy to be. So I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. It speaks of his zeal or his ardor or the burning passion of his love which is fascinating because God is saying, look, I'm a jealous God. I have zeal for what I love the most and what God loves the most is us, his people. It's the Israelites here. That's his burning passion. And so he is stating, I'm not a jealous God as you think about jealousy as you know it. I have zeal for you. So just keep that in mind as you think about that. Verse 7, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And then finally, verse 8, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So there are four commandments that we're going to lift right out of Exodus chapter 20. And keep in mind, they all focus on our vertical relationship with God and how we can be rightly related to him. So I'm going to restate these four commandments and then I'll just make some comments And then I'll provide two takeaways. We'll pray and we'll be done. Okay? Here's commandment number one. You must not have any other God but me. That's what we find in verse three. Now, this would have been absolutely shocking in its context because ancient Near Eastern societies were polytheistic in their worship, meaning they worshiped a lot of gods, just a ton of them. They kind of had a God for everything. And the Israelites would have been used to that because of their time in Egypt. The Egyptians were polytheistic. They worshiped a lot of gods. But as God establishes his people and sets them up for success, he says, look, I know that's what everybody else is doing, but for you, no other gods No other gods but me. And so right away, this first commandment establishes the object of our worship. It is God and God alone. But we can't overlook the fact that this would have been shocking for people to hear because, well, there's all kinds of gods that we could worship. But God is saying, as we get going here, as we establish ourselves, 
No other gods before me or in front of me. Worship me, the God, capital G of Israel. So that's commandment number one. You must have no other God but me. The second commandment is very similar, but it actually focuses on how we worship. So the first commandment is about the object of worship. It's God and God alone. Nobody else in front of him or beside him. The second commandment tells us here's how we do that. And here is how it's stated. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. That's verse 4. So this is basically an iconic language, which an iconic means without idols, which the Israelites would have been very used to from being in Egypt where they had all kinds of gods and they would fashion idols and these icons in order to be able to worship this particular God. So God is saying, no icons, no images to be made of me. And I believe the reason he stated that is because God knew there were no materials that could be formed in a way that could capture his essence. And so God says, no idols, because it cheapens him and it makes him a trinket. And God doesn't want to be a trinket. He wants to be everything. So no idols. Okay, commandment number four. Three, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And that's what we find in verse seven. Sometimes I don't think we always know what to do with this one, right? Like what does this actually mean? Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Well, do you remember when Jesus was teaching his close followers how to pray in Matthew chapter 6? He gathered them together and said, okay, when you pray, I want you to follow this pattern, this model. Pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or May thy name be made holy. That's what that means, hallowed. Make the name of God really significant. And it's so interesting to me that when Jesus taught people to pray, he actually began by lifting up the name of God as holy, as set apart, as significant. The name of God is to be revered. That's a good thing. And it's a good thing because when we revere the name of God, when we make it hallowed and holy, we are actually making it significant in his eyes and in our eyes and in the eyes of the people around us. So I would encourage all of us to do this. As you think about your use of the name of God, as you think about that, and even as you communicate it, as you say it, Are you making the name of God significant and holy? I think that's the heart of this commandment. Okay, there's one more that relates to God. That's commandment number four. Here it is. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And that's what we see in verse eight. I think we could spend a lot of time on this and we're not going to do that. But Sabbath, this day of rest and renewal, 
this day set aside to think about God and to pray and to respond to his greatness and make his name great is really important. So basically, the Sabbath, it reminds us of God's care. And I think sometimes we often overlook that. That when we come to our Sabbath, our few moments where we gather as a faith community, this is actually God's way to care for us. Where we slow the pace a little bit and we shut out all of the activities and events of the day and the week. And we honor God and we sing to him and pray to him and look to scripture and allow him to till the soil of our heart a little bit. I would encourage you to think about Sabbath, to think about our coming together as a way for God to care for us. That's what he wants to do for you and for me as we gather. And that makes Sabbath, that makes this hour really important and special because God cares for us here and provides rest. He invites us to breathe. And he uses this to bring renewal as well. That's Sabbath. It's God's way of caring for us. Here's something else to consider. It is our chance to give reverence to God, to respond to his greatness. So Sabbath, it reconnects us to God and it renews our soul. I think we forget about this often. I know that I do. And it doesn't seem as a culture we're very good at resting and finding renewal. We kind of like running and charging the next hill and doing a lot of stuff, and that's okay. God's even okay with that, and he's designed a way for that to happen the rest of the week, but then for Sabbath to occur, where we rest and allow him to renew us. I think in the past 15 months, the habit of Sabbath or this practice of coming together has really taken a hit for all of the reasons. And with everything that we've encountered, it's just taken a bit of a hit. So let's come back to this. Let's renew this. Perhaps the greatest thing you can do coming out of Moses in May and a little bit in June is to recommit to a lifestyle of worship which involves taking 60-ish minutes like this and saying, okay, God, work in me and I want to rest in you and I want you to provide care for me with the prayers and the songs and the teachings and the community coming together. Use all of that to provide care for me and this is also my chance to give reverence to you and to honor your name and to respond to your greatness. I think God knew we might struggle with this. And so that's why the command is here. There's something beautiful about coming together as a family of faith and doing that regularly. It's important to note that in the text, this is the first commandment that is stated positively. So keep the Sabbath. This is what I want for you. And I think God stated it positively because it's important to him. Because it's important to God, it should probably be important to us as well. Here's something else that's noteworthy. The Sabbath is the only commandment of the 10. 
So when it's the only thing that occurs with it, that makes it kind of stand out. It's the only commandment that comes with a why. So keep the Sabbath, honor it, and here's why. No other command is really given with a why. So God doesn't say, do not murder, and here's why. Or do not covet, and here's why. Those things are kind of obvious to us. But again, I think God knew we would struggle with regularly coming before him in community with others and allowing the body to shape and form us into his image. And so he gives us a why. If you go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And here's the why. Verse 9, you have six days to go crazy. You do, and to work hard. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. I think God knows that in the rhythm of a week with all of the things that occur and with all of the busyness that we would emotionally and psychologically and physically and spiritually need a day, a time to rest and breathe and be renewed. And that's this. So Sabbath kind of anchors us. Not kind of, it actually does anchor us. And that's a great thing. Okay, the first four commandments. They focus on our vertical relationship with God and how we can be rightly related to him. I have two takeaways for us. Number one, Take time to evaluate your vertical relationship with God based on the first four commandments. And I would encourage you to do that today. I would encourage you to do that quickly. Like within a few moments of walking out of here, just say, okay, I'm going to evaluate my vertical relationship with God. And then I think this would be a good challenge for all of us. Create some next steps that you should take and you can take based on your self-evaluation. Like, here's where I am today. Here's where I would like to go in my friendship with God. So here's some next steps. Here are action points that I can begin to do in my life. Take time to evaluate your vertical relationship with God and do that quickly today. Act on that and create some next steps. And then number two, remember the commandments are a way to know God. They're not designed to stifle us or to keep us from enjoying life. They're not meant to box us in to where we can't breathe and do anything at all. They are meant to help us walk with God. And as we discover next week, also help us walk with each other in dynamic ways. So may God give us the courage and strength to walk out of here in a few moments. And say, okay, I'm going to evaluate my vertical relationship with God. And here's what I need to do over the next seven days. And then prepare your heart to come back as we think about these final six commandments. Father, we are appreciative of some time today just to look at Exodus chapter 20. It's an ancient text. It was written a long time ago. But yet I 
think there's still something for us here. So help us not to push it away just as old language or something for the Israelites as they were being established as a new people group in freedom. This is for us as well. These commandments are essential to biblical literature. They're important to you, and so they should be important to us as well. God, I confess to you, I don't often come back to the Ten Commandments. It's been wonderful to review them in preparing to teach. So help me to do a better job of taking what is essential and making sure that my vertical relationship with you is where it should be and my relationships with other humans as well as we continue to discover. And God, I pray that for everyone here and for everyone watching as well online that we would commit to doing the hard work of self-evaluating and taking some necessary steps. Help us to do that. I do pray, God, and I can't wait to see how you use our community of faith to be better together and to be bright lights everywhere that you take us. Bring us back together next week as we continue to think about these commandments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.